Dan, Radio Style. Hope everybody out there is having themselves a great day. Continuing on with Neville's work, Awakened Imagination and the Search. This is Chapter 3's Highways of the Inner World. Two big things that come out on this chapter for me that I really, really liked. One of them especially. Maintain direction on our inner road. A very important concept that he brings up there. He even makes this great little analogy where if for some reason your mind, your internal thinking process drifts into other thoughts, if it does this 70 times, seven times, then hey, guess what? 70 times, 70 times, guide your inner thoughts back to the direction that you would like, back towards the thing you're manifesting. Also, and this was the really big one that he uh, brings with it, action in our inner world is required. He gets into a bit of an explanation around what the inner world action is versus what outer world action is, how they tie together, how they relate to each other. But ultimately, he gives a great example of a young lady who manifested her desire because of the fact that she could see herself in action. When she was imagining it, it was in action. It wasn't like a, a photograph. And a lot of us sometimes do photographs when we're imagining a scene. We see a scene like it's a still photo. And the scene needs to have action. It needs to have movement. It needs to be real. It needs to come across kind of within our minds as being real, as being in a place in space and time where we're able to move about and make it freely. Not like it's some perspective of a picture, right? Not like it's some, I'm seeing this happen from afar, or I'm not really a part of it, or it's just a picture or an image, not really a scene that I'm experiencing. Like a movie uh, has movement in the scenes, right? You know, 20 frames per second, 30 frames per second, whatever it works out to be. And that's how fast the little scenes are changing. We need that action. We need that in real life. It's kind of how things tend to work. So Goddard does an amazing job explaining all this in chapter three. And the children struggled within her. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 and 23. Duality is an inherent condition of life. Everything that exists is double. Man is the dual creature with contrary principles embedded in his nature. They war within him and present attitude to life which are antagonistic. This conflict is the eternal enterprise, the war in heavens, the never-ending struggle of the younger or inner man of imagination to assert his supremacy over the elder or outer man of sense. Again, he's talking about the little bit of a drama that all of us have, the duality that exists with life, the contrast that exists within life. It's inherent. He's painting a wonderful picture right from the very beginning. So in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, the first shall be the last, and the last shall be the first. Again, speaking to this, this wonderful duality that we all experience. John chapter 1, verse 27, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47, the second man is the Lord from heaven. Man begins to awake to his imaginative life the moment he feels the presence of another being in himself. In your limbs lie nations twain, rival races from their birth. One the mastery shall gain, the younger o'er the elder reign. There are two distinct centers of thought or outlooks on the world possessed by every man. The Bible speaks of these two outlooks as natural and spiritual. 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Man's inner body is as real in the world of the subjective experience as his outer physical body is real in the world of external realities. But the inner body expresses a more fundamental part of reality. This existing inner body of man must be consciously exercised and directed. The inner world of thought and feeling to which the inner body is attuned has its real structure and exists in its own higher space. What he's painting the picture right here is there are two components of us. There is this inner component, and then there's this outer skin-based physical reality component. The inner component exists within its own dimension, within its own reality, within its own place. Not necessarily the same place as our outer world. May feel like it, may seem like it, because from our vantage point, it's all kind of happening around us simultaneously. But what Goddard's saying is, is there actually is a difference. And as we've learned from a lot of the Neville Goddard teachings, everything comes from within, correct? So I think he's helping build this picture even further. There are two kinds of movement, one that is according to the inner body and another that is according to the outer body. The movement which is according to the inner body is casual, but the outer movement is under compulsion. The inner movement determines the outer which is joined to it, bringing into the outer a movement that is similar to the actions of the inner body. Inner movement is the force by which all events are brought to pass. Outer movement is subject to the compulsion applied to it by the movement of the inner body. So again, he's making the point that any movement, and all movement for that matter, starts as an internal movement, as an internal action. And through this internal action, the outward action will mimic. So again, he's making that point for actions needed. You need to have action. It needs to be in, in, mo in movement. It needs to be a verb, if you will. This needs to continue. So whenever the actions of the inner body match the actions which the outer must take to appreciate desire, that desire will be realized. Construct mentally a drama which implies that your desire is realized and make it one which involves movement of self. Immobilize your outer physical self, act precisely as though you were going to take a nap, and start the predetermined action in imagination. So again, he's got us imagining how to do a certain thing, how to be in that location, how to be in action. He's trying to tell us, hey, try to have your body not in movement to, to help with this process, to help with this imagining exercise. You don't necessarily want to be feeling your body as much as imagining feeling your body in this other place, this other space and time. A vivid representation of the action is the beginning of that action. Then, as you are falling asleep, consciously imagine yourself into the scene. The length of the sleep is not important. A short nap is sufficient. But carrying the action into sleep thickens fancy into fact. So again, that whole the lullaby technique that he teaches us. Going into that place right before you fall asleep and really start to imagine. And in this case, he sort of says, yeah, and go ahead and fall asleep with those imaginings running through your mind. It's actually very powerful when you do that. At first, your thoughts may be like rambling sheep that have no shepherd. Don't despair. Should your attention stray 70 times 7, bring it back 70 times 7 to its predetermined course until from sheer exhaustion it follows the appointed path. The inner journey must never be without direction. When you take to the inner road, it is to do what you did mentally before you started. You go for the prize you have already seen and accepted. 
In The Road of Xanadu, Professor John Livingston Lowe says, But I have long had the feeling, which this study had matured to a conviction, that fancy and imagination are not two powers at all, but one. The valid distinction which exists between them lies not in the materials with which they operate, but in the degree of intensity of the operant power itself. Working at a high tension, the imaginative energy assimilates and transmutes. Keyed low, the same energy aggregates and yokes together those images which at its highest pitch it merges indissolubly into one. Fancy assembles, imagination fuses. Here is a practical application of this theory. A year ago, a blind girl living in the city of San Francisco found herself confronted with a transportation problem. A rerouting of buses forced her to make three transfers between her home and her office. This lengthened her trip from 15 minutes to two hours and 15 minutes. She thought seriously about this problem and came to the decision that a car was the solution. She knew that she could not drive a car, but felt that she could be driven in one. Putting this theory to the test, that whenever the action of the inner self corresponds to the action which the outer physical self must take to appease desire, that desire will be realized. She said to herself, I will sit here and imagine that I am being driven to my office. Sitting in her living room, she began to imagine herself seated in a car. She felt the rhythm of the motor. She imagined that smell of the odor of gasoline. She felt the motion of the car, touched the sleeve of the driver, and felt the driver was a man. She felt the car stop and turned to her companion and said, Thank you very much, sir. To which he replied, The pleasure is all mine. Then she stepped from the car and heard the door snap shut as it closed. She told me that she centered her imagination on being in the car and, although blind, viewed the city from her imaginary ride. She did not think of the ride. She thought from the ride and all that it implied. This controlled and subjectively directed, purposive ride raised her imagination to its full potency. She kept her purpose even before her, knowing there was a cohesion in purposive inner movement. In these mental journeys, an emotional continuity must be sustained. The emotion of the fulfilled desire. Expectancy and desire were so intensely joined that they passed at once from the mental state into the physical act. The inner self moves along the predetermined course best when the emotions collaborate. The inner self must be fired, and it is best fired by the thought of great deeds and personal gain. We must take pleasure in our actions. On two successive days, the blind girl took her imaginary ride, giving it all the joy and sensory vividness of reality. A few hours after her second imaginary ride, a friend told her of the story in a convincing paper. It was the story of a man who was interested in the blind. The blind girl phoned him and stated her problem. The very next day, on his way home, he stopped in at a bar, and while he was there, he had an urge to tell the story of the blind girl to his friend, the proprietor. A total stranger, on hearing the story, volunteered to drive the blind girl home every day. The man who had told the story said then, If you take her home, I will take her to work. This was over a year ago, and since that day, this blind girl has been driven to and from her office by these two gentlemen. Now, instead of spending two hours and 15 minutes on three buses, she is at her office in less than 15 minutes. And on her first ride to the office, she turned to her good Samaritan and said, Thank you very much, sir. And he replied, The pleasure is all mine. 
Thus, the objects of her imagination were to her the realities of which the physical manifestation was only the witness. The determinative animating principle was the imaginative ride. Her triumph could be surprised only to those who did not know of her inner ride. She mentally viewed the world from this imaginative ride with such a clearness of vision that every aspect of the city attained identity. These inner movements not only produce corresponding outer movements, this is the law which operates beneath all physical appearance. He who practices these exercises of bilocation will develop unusual powers of concentration and quiescence and will inevitably achieve waking consciousness on the inner and dimensionally larger world. Actualizing strongly the fulfilled her desire for viewing the city from the feeling of the wish fulfilled, she matched the state desired and granted that to herself, which sleeping men ask of God. To realize your desire, an action must start in your imagination. Apart from the evidence of the senses involving movement of the self and implying fulfillment of your desire. Whenever it is the action which the outer self takes to appease desire, the desire will be realized. The moment of every visible object is caused not by things outside the body, but by things within it, which operates from within outward. The journey is in yourself. You travel along the highways of the inner world. Without inner movement, it is impossible to bring forth anything. Interaction is introverted sensation. If you will construct mentally a drama which implies that you have realized your objective, then close your eyes and drop your thoughts inward, centering your imagination all the while in the predetermined action and partake in that action. You will become a self-determined being. Interaction orders all things according to the nature of itself. Try it and see whether a desirable ideal, once formulated, is possible, for only by this process of experiment can you realize your potentialities. It is thus that this creative principle is being realized. So the clue to purposive living is to center your imagination in the action and feeling of fulfilled desire with such awareness, such sensitiveness, that you initiate and experience movement upon your inner world. Ideas only act if they are felt, if they awaken inner movement. Inner movement is conditioned by self-motivation, outer movement by compulsion. Wherever the sole of your foot shall tread, the same give I unto you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. The big takeaway on this, I feel, is how he explains adding motion, adding action, adding a little bit more to that inner dialogue that we have with ourselves and that inner uh, seeing, that inner vision, that inner scene that we're enjoying in our minds. Giving it some form of reality, giving it some form of action, some form of interaction will help create that equal outer action. Now, it can't just be action. You can't just have walking around, rambling around like that. It's got to be action that does imply that this is fulfilled. So maybe for you, maybe it's a relationship and, and a marriage and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's the action of the dance at your wedding with your husband or your wife. That action is an action and it implies that your desire is fulfilled. So when you have that kind of action, it jumps out at the universe and just bam, just starts running and creates itself extremely quickly. And that's what this young lady was trying to share with us in her story that Goddard shared. Action is the key to causing our manifestations to happen more quickly. 
Action is the thing that you want to try to add to what your scene is. Try to make it real. Try to give it something that feels real and implies that you already have the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Stan Radio Style.